Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello, passionate listeners and watchers. Welcome to Passion Harvest. I am Louisa, your host. Thank you for joining me wherever you are in the world right now. Our guest today is is Mary Beth Spann-Mank. Her search for evidence of the afterlife uncovered something amazing. Mary Beth's husband, Paul, passed into the spirit world from pancreatic cancer. She was consumed with learning about what happens when we die and about romance in the afterlife. Mary Beth has deepened her loving connection with her husband. She calls these unions trans-dimensional relationships. Mary Beth wants the trans-dimensional relationship to be regarded as a viable relationship choice when one partner in a romantic couple precedes the other in death. She demonstrates that couples in trans-dimensional relationships can live happily ever after in love until they are fully reunited on the other side. This is her story and this is her passion. Mary Beth, welcome to Passion Harvest. Well, thank you so much for having me. There's nothing I love to talk about more than my beautiful husband in spirit and the relationship that we have together. So my husband, Paul Mank, he and I were high school sweethearts and we dated in high school. But on our very, very first date, he was so cute. And he said to me, Mary Beth, I really like you. And I would love to go steady. Back in the day, we went steady and exchanged high school rings and all that. He said, I would love to go steady. But I also want to date a lot of people before I eventually settle down. So I just don't really want you to get, you know, hung up on me. And, you know, count on me to be here for forever. But I'll be true to you while we're together. And so, of course, I immediately fell head over heels in love with him. And we just had the most wonderful time together. There was never an ounce of, you know, uh, upset or resistance or anything. And then one day he walked me home from school and as he usually did, and he just held out his hand and in his hand was my high school ring, meaning this is it. You know, I want my ring back and have a nice life. <laughs> And I was really, I was truly devastated. I, you know, I, I was I'm just beside myself. But I remember walk, walk, like I went in my house and I watched him walk away out my front window. I watched, you know, his back as he walked away. And I was so, so sad. But I thought to myself, I can't be upset with him. Because first of all, he was honest with me. And second of all, and I really don't know where this came from. I think this was like a really advanced idea. I said to myself, I remember thinking, if you love someone unconditionally, you want for them what they want for themselves. And if Paul wants to date other people, even though that breaks my heart, I have to want that for him. And so he went on and dated other people. And 
through the years here and there we came back together in very brief periods we were, we went to the same local college together we grew up in buffalo and we both went to the university of buffalo together and by that time i had another boyfriend and we met on campus one day and my heart just leapt out of my chest <laughs> and he said to me would you like to go to the movies with me and even though I liked my new boyfriend, I was like, yes, yes, of course. And then like the next day or so, he came back and said, you know what? I'm really not ready to settle down and I don't wanna break your heart again. So, so I didn't get to go to the movies with him. And eventually, you know, years went by and I got married and, and I lost track, complete track of him. You know, this is way back in the day before any social media or, texting or anything in fact i often thought i would love to call his house and ask for him or even send him a letter we lived in the same neighborhood but i thought you know send him a letter to see how he's doing but girls just didn't do that back in the day they didn't call boys and they didn't approach boys it was you know sort of um i don't know the, the convention of the time that girls waited for boys to call them so even though i was very independent at the time and eventually you know i dated different people and eventually got married to a lovely young man and we were married for seven years but and he was just we were just nice as apple pie to each other but i didn't love him and so eventually we broke up and then i married my second husband and we were married for um, a long time and have two now young adult kids together. But that marriage, although I loved him, just really didn't work. It, I felt lonely in the relationship. And he's a lovely guy. There was nothing untoward. You know, no one was throwing plates at each other or screaming and yelling. It wasn't that. I just felt this big disconnect. Now, this brings us to I guess the year 2002. And then I found Paul online. And again, he and I immediately clicked, but I was living in New York and he was living in Michigan. I was married, he was married. So clearly this was not going to be something where we could, you know, just get together and date each other or anything like that. Um, so it took a, it took a long, time and during that time it was such a painful time because i realized i was still in love with paul and not in love with my husband i was terrified to visit divorce on my young kids so what i did was anytime i've had pain in my life i decided to learn my way through the pain so i used to once a month i would go into new york city and i would um take some sort of metaphysical class on something or other to learn about more about what's really going on inside. And I, I began to read books about that. And I learned a tremendous amount about myself and about, you know, feelings of being unloved that came from my childhood, all sorts of things. And eventually I decided that this took years, but eventually Paul said to me, I really think we need to go back you know instead of emailing each other and we didn't even text each other there were no cell phones at the time but we would email every single day and talk on the phone and he said i really think we need to go back and work on our own relationships and so we did that because again i honored whatever he wanted to do i would like to say i was a stand-up person to say that 
but it wasn't me it was it was he who said that and so there were years when i was not in contact with paul at all and my husband and i came apart but we cared for each other and of course we both are you know crazy about our kids and so what we did was we we sold our big home and bought two smaller homes almost across the street from each other on the same street so our kids just walked across the street to see each parent and we always had holidays and everything together but then a friend said to me you know mary beth she said you should really consider connecting with him like email him years have gone by maybe he's not even married anymore so i emailed him and I just said to him, I'm separated from my husband. We're not, you know, I'm not, I'm out of my marriage. So I didn't know what was going on with you. And he wrote me back and said he was still married, but he had never forgotten about me even for a day. And then not long after that, he had a near fatal heart attack. And he said he was in the ambulance and he thought, if I don't leave this marriage, I'll never see her again. And so eventually he got the courage to leave his marriage and then Paul and I were able to be together. And I traveled to see him and it was the most glorious thing ever, like a, like a movie ending. <laughs> it, was, it was just the most harmonious relationship ever. We just laughed our way through the whole thing. We just loved being together. It was so, so much fun. And then, when Paul, you know, as our relationship progressed and Paul would come and be with me for holidays and we would be with my ex-husband and our kids and I met his kids and it just was like the most miraculous thing ever. And Paul finally said to me, why don't you come and let me take care of you? And I was like Miss Independence, but I just felt like, oh, all right, I will come and 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 be with you. And by now my son had just turned 21. And so I felt like, well, he wasn't a baby anymore, even though he wasn't quite ready to, you know, step out in the world. He had his dad right there. And I went and lived with Paul. And we were, we just easily fell into living together full time. But I wasn't even there a year before he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and passed. That was six and a half years ago. And right now, it's hard for me to even conjure up the grief that I felt because I am in such a magnificently, wonderfully happy place. But it took time to get there. And after Paul died, I had, I had never experienced grief like that before. I did experience grief in the period where we couldn't be together. But this was different. This was, we were there. I would never, ever have the chance to see him physically again. And I really felt like a train hit me. I was fortunate in many ways because I didn't have to work. Um, Paul had left me a little nest egg and he told me before he died, he said, I want you to pay off your debt. I was deeply in debt when I went to live with him, pay off your debt and then you'll be fine. And we lived in a home in Michigan. Paul's dream was to buy a commercial building and renovate it into a home. So he bought, before I moved there, he had bought, purchased this big bank building and we called it Manx Bank. And I lived there for five years after he passed. And in fact, this, I don't know if you can see, this is the building. 
this is the drive-through <laughs> this is manx bank it was a ginormous building and then i rattled around in it by myself for a long time but i think my saving grace in all of this well there were many saving graces but i have always been metaphysically focused and at the point in time when my husband my second husband and i when our marriage was falling apart i happened to find my way somehow to abraham hicks the teachings of abraham hicks and they taught that there was no death and they taught that the most important thing there is nothing more important than that you feel good because when you feel good all wanted things come your way all the things that you want come your way and right before a few years before paul had died Esther Hicks, who channels Abraham, her husband, her beloved husband, Jerry, had died. So when Paul was ill and when he passed, there was a lot of discussion on their recordings about what happens when you die. What happened to Jerry? What happened to Esther? And I was kind of surprised to find out that Esther suffered a year of, of searing grief because I thought, well, she must know that Jerry lives on. She's been talking about this for decades, but even she, even she experienced that. And the, what the recording said was, even though she experienced that feeling, that horrible, it's, it's just a, it just feels like your skin is ripped off. It's just, and it never goes away. It's just, is so debilitating, the feeling of grief. But they said, even though, Esther experienced that. One day she heard Abraham say to her, stop looking for Jerry where he was and start looking for him where he is. And they explained that the period, the, the, the grief experience is really just a period of adjustment where we get used to adjusting from experiencing our loved ones in their physical form with our ordinary human senses to experiencing them in this deeper more profound even more beautiful and satisfying way and the way to do that was when someone you love dies is to as much as possible get yourself to feeling better and better and better and i trusted abraham and they were really the only thing I could hang on to. And I believed them. And so what I did, even though I felt horrible when Paul passed, is I really set out to make myself feel as good as I could so that my goal would be to be able to feel Paul more profoundly than ever before. I wasn't sure I could get to where Esther was, where she felt happier than even when Jerry was physically focused. But I thought, well, I, I'll get as close as I can. And that's what I did. And so what I did when Paul passed was I chose a lot of different things to help myself feel good. Because I had been a teacher, I volunteered to work with young children in a classroom one day a week. Then I love to speak, as you can tell. <laughs> so I went online and I looked up my local Toastmasters group, which is a group that encourages people to learn how to speak. And it was so funny because the local Toastmasters group was held in what they call the Federal Center, a big, beautiful building in Battle Creek, Michigan, where Paul worked. And so I joined Toastmasters. And then I took a tap dancing class because why not? 
So every day I set myself up with these things that I would have something to do to help elevate my, my, um, I don't know, I, vibration, I guess you could say. In addition to that, what I did was, even though I love Abraham and they promised that we would have eternal life and that we would see our loved ones again when we pass they're not they don't really talk a whole heck of a lot about the afterlife you know about the nature of the afterlife and i think that's because their job for lack of a better word is to help people navigate this human existence so i began reading like i said i educate myself out of pain so like many, many people, I just began reading more and more and more and more about the afterlife. And some of it was thrilling and exciting and promising. And some of it was scary and worrisome to me. So I tried to just like stick with the information that thrilled me, you know, on my quest to feel better and better. I must have read probably over 200 books. And then what I did when I was in college, College, somebody said that if you are interested in an author, you can always contact them. Well, back in the day when I was in college, you'd write them a letter. <laughs> but now I would go on their websites and find their email and email them. And so I just emailed these afterlife authors, you know, hoping to, I would say to them, I am burning up in pain. Help me. Will I see my husband again? And these people generously would write back to me and connect with me. And it was so very thrilling. The other part of my story was that people advised that I join a widow's group or a, um, a grief group, get some grief counseling. And so I really kind of resisted that. But a friend of mine said, Mary Beth, go to a grief group, you know, in your neighborhood. Even if you even if it doesn't help you, maybe you'll meet somebody and make a friend. So I went to a grief group, a local grief group in Battle Creek, Michigan. And it was led by a lovely facilitator, a lovely woman. And most of the people who sat around a big table for an hour a week were people whose husbands had died. And everybody would cry. And, you know, and, and the facilitator handed out a handout and it talked about the goal of grief, uh, of this grief group, this particular grief group. And the goal of it was ultimately to let go of the loved one who passed and focus our energies on the people who are living here. And I'm a nice, polite girl. <laughs> but I said, when I read that, I went, what? Why would I ever want to do that? And every head, all the, the, the ladies, it were like, and every head went, <laughs> Because everybody was like, whoa, what? And I said, why would I ever want to let go of my husband, the love of my life, the person who I love more than life itself? Why would I ever want to let him go? And so I wrote a nice little thank you note to the lady and said to the facilitator, and I said, thank you so much for your help. I really don't think this group is for me. So then I tried online groups. And some of the online groups would have people who would say, women mostly mostly women who would say who would write in the facebook group they would write my charlie died 35 years ago and i sob every single day and i thought oh my gosh i cannot do that i cannot live my life like that and so i quickly you know got out of those groups and then i found a group that said that 
we could remain in a relationship with our crossed over partner. I thought, oh, this is the one for me. But the only thing about that group that I disagreed with was that they maintain, they, they declared that we would always maintain some level of grief forever for the rest of our lives. And I didn't agree with that because of what Abraham had said. And there was another member of this group, William Murray, who began writing that he was feeling better and better and better after his beloved wife passed also from cancer. And he was feeling her with him and he was feeling better every day. And they actually kicked him out of the group for saying that because they said that he set too high of a bar for everyone. And I had a phone conversation with my sister and I told her about this and she said, I don't know, Mary Beth, it sounds to me like it's time for you to move on, which by the way, is the last, the, the words that no one in my situation ever wants to hear like, oh, time to move on. <laughs> but I thought, hmm, I said, do you think I should start my own group? And she said, yes. So I contacted William Murray, who I had, who I knew not from Adam. And I, I said to him, you know, I'm in alignment with you. I'm feeling closer and closer to my Paul. I feel happier and happier every day. Do you want to start our own group? And he said, okay. And we did. And in the beginning, it was William and I, and we would meet just like this on Zoom, just he and I together. <laughs> and, and little by little, we got more and more people to the point where now, five years later, we have close to 1,500 people in our group. And our group is only for people whose romantic partners have died and who want to continue to enjoy and deepen their relationship with their partners. And William and I agree, he and I, um, he and I have no grief. And I don't, you know, sometimes in our group, I, I feel that I don't want to make people who are still hurting feel like somehow it's a race or you have to get to this final goal or anything like that. Everybody's path is different. Some people may have grief for the rest of their life, but at least William and I hold out to people an example of people who have no grief. I feel closer to Paul than ever before. I feel his presence with me all the time. I'm never sad about it. I'm, I feel so immensely grateful for, not as cancer, I wouldn't wish cancer on anyone, but for the cancer journey that we went through and for his, for, for the grief, because both things made the love that we share explode to mammoth proportions. Before Paul died, I thought I couldn't love him anymore. The minute he died, it, it grew and grew and grew and grew even now, even larger and bigger and better. It's just this amazing journey uh, to take. And this transdimensional relationship that we share, it's as William likes to say, I've learned a lot from William. He's very knowledgeable about all this, but he says he's not in a hurry to get through it because this is a very special time period where one partner's, you know, physically focused in the human form and the other partner's on the other side. And 
we experienced each other in a way that wasn't possible when we were both here and is not going to be possible when we're both there. It's, it's this unique experience and we don't want to miss a minute of it. And we think of William, I've learned so much from him. Uh, you should interview William. <laughs> but uh, one of the things I've learned from William is that in many ways, this transdimensional relationship very much, uh, what can I say, mirrors a traditional human relationship. For example, a lot of people in our group will, will be worried that they don't feel their partner with them or they haven't gotten any signs or they, they've gone forever without having a dream and what's up, did the person leave them, did they go on ahead without them? And William always says these very funny things. He'll say things like, well, where are they going to go? They have all of eternity. Do they have a bus to catch? What's the hurry? <laughs> and think about it the other way around. Think about it the other way around. What if you were the first one to pop off and then your love was left behind in searing grief? Would you just run away from them? Of course not. You would stay there with them and help them and be there for them. So that's all very logical. But he also said, getting back to the mirroring of the relationships, when people say that, they don't sense their partner with them and where are the signs and oh no 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 William would say to them and I've come to adapt a lot of his sayings he would say to them give them signs so for example every morning you know I, I picked this up from William he used to make two cups of coffee one for himself one for his wife and he would set her cup out and sit there and talk to her and I do that with Paul every day and when I'm sitting at at night watching TV He's right there. I talk to him, you know, sometimes just in my mind. When I take a walk, I'll talk to him. I, when I read a book, I'll think, what do you think about that book? I know this is probably not the book you would pick, but hey, I'm here and you're there and I get to pick the book. <laughs> so we joke all the time uh, in my head. People say, how do you know it's not your own thoughts? And you know what? Maybe it is. And maybe the feather that I find is not a sign from Paul. But as William always says, I thank his wife's name as, as Irene. I thank Irene for all the signs. I figure when I get over there, we can have a talk about it. And I can say, hey, did you leave me that feather? And she could say no. And then they can have a good laugh about it. Or she'll say yes. And he could say, oh, good. Thank you so much. I love you so much even more for that. <laughs> so it's like finding appreciation in every single bit of it. When I, the one thing I got out of that grief group when I met with the lady who was so nice, the facilitator lady, I said to her, I don't know what I'm going to, this is right after Paul died, I don't know what I'm going to do. I live in this enormous bank building. My children, are, no, I have no family members nearby really. And so I said to the lady, the facilitator person, I said, I don't, I don't know where I'm supposed to go, what I'm supposed to do. And she said, you'll know in time. Just relax in time when the time is right, you'll know. And so a year ago, five years after Paul passed, I figured it was time to move out of Manx Bank and to find somewhere else to live. And I realized, well, this ginormous building was filled with I mean, it was like the size of a mini mall and a big uh, portion of it was filled with all of Paul's tools because he renovated big time. He had big 
I mean, every tool you could imagine. It was like walking into a department store, you know, with all the, or, or a tool shop with all the tools. So I had to think about how to, you know, dispose of them. This was also in the middle of COVID, so it was difficult. I couldn't really easily have people come in the bank, so it was hard. It was a big challenge, but I did it little by little, and with the help of people, I did it. But I realized that one of the reasons I stayed put for five full years is because I was dreading figuring out what to do with Paul's clothing. And we had, he had, he had um, used the bank vault and turned it into a big walk-in closet. And I used to walk in there and all of his things were lined up and it made me feel so close to him. But I knew no matter where I moved, I was never going to move into a building as large as the bank. So I had to donate some of them. And I talked to my friend, William, and he said to me something so beautiful. He said, you know, Mary Beth, I think the romance you share with Paul now is less about the stuff and more about the love. And so that really allowed me to take most of Paul's clothing and things and donate them. And he, he always donated money to a local men's shelter. So I knew it was something that he would support. And as soon as I made that decision and began donating things, I just felt lighter and brighter and happier. It was such a wonderful feeling. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I saved some things for myself, of course, some precious things for myself. And what I did was because I didn't know where I was moving, I packed my thing. I, I got um, I had a company come and bring shipping containers. I packed my things in shipping containers and I took my most precious things and packed them in my car in boxes in my car very carefully because the company said don't pack anything precious in the shipping containers so i packed all my treasures from paul photographs and gifts you know jewelry and things that he had given me his cremains his special clothing all all not not only that but all my you know, personal records like bank records and tax records and everything that's special and important, I packed it in my car very, very carefully. I, I had so many boxes, I actually hired a couple of kids to help me pack the car. And I traveled and stayed with a friend in Buffalo where Paul and I had grown up and uh, eventually had gotten married, by the way, we traveled back there to get married. We both loved Buffalo. And I thought, maybe I'll settle in Buffalo. It's not too far away from where my kids live on Long Island. And the first night I was there, I was in my friend's house and I got up in the morning and went out to my car and every single thing had been stolen out of my car. All of my treasures from Paul, all of the letters, his cremains, everything. And again, I was like, <laughs> you know, and I realized that it's more about the love and not about the stuff. Both of my kids said to me, mom, no one can steal Paul from you. No one can steal Paul from you. And I talked to my very best friend and I said to her, oh, and I had, I had packed Paul's cremains. I had given some to each of his sons and I had packed my portion of his cremains in a beautiful teapot my sister had given me. I never used this. So it was this magnificent teapot and because I love tea and I packed that in the car and that was gone and my I was talking to my best friend and she said oh Mary Beth what if 
when they unpacked that the people who stole everything what if they unpacked the teapot and they thought that was tea and they brewed paul and they drank him and this just made me burst into it just laugh out loud i i was i thought that was the funniest thing and i knew he would think that was funny too so oh mary beth thank you so much for sharing your story and you've actually have answered all my questions about how you connect and what your relationship with paul is like i will leave a link below in the show notes as well for people that can just if they want to just click on that thank you transdimensional relationships you really are a thought leader and a spokesperson for it it's 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 wonderful well you know william and i have talked about this and generally people in my situation you know well maybe not me i'm almost 70 years old so nobody really cares if i date or not but we have people in our group who are very young you know in their 20s and at least for right now, this is how they feel that they don't want to repartner, but they are people all the way through the decades, they're urged to repartner, repartner, you know, you should even when 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 um, when Paul passed when I was uh, 61, you know, my ex husband said, Mary Beth, you should go on dating sites. And I said, No, I have a husband. I'm in love with my husband. I have no need for anyone else. I'm not lonely. I'm just, you know, really, really happy. And so we would like, William and I especially, and 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 I know, you know, others in our group would like to really validate this transdimensional relationship where you don't repartner and you don't live in grief for the rest of your life. We would like to elevate this to be a viable choice where people would say, oh, you're in a trans, you've chosen to be in a transdimensional relationship. Good for you. That's really all we want because people get so much, um, you know, I don't know, backlash or negativity from friends and family who don't believe it's even a thing or even possible. And I'm here to say it's possible. You know, I've had plenty, I have uh, had plenty of wonderful, you know, signs and symbols and synchronicities and sensations from Paul that I, and very happy, happily ensconced in this relationship. Thank you again so much for letting me spread the word. Oh, it was my pleasure, Mary Beth. Thank you so much for being on Passion Harvest. I love your story and I love how you shared this and the information, you know, it's so relatable. So thank you so very much. Thank you too. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening and please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion. As always, every day, may you be more and more passionate.